0: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: It is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. Uh, Unusually, however, I am not speaking to you from the wilds of Connecticut and the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. Instead, I am on something of a secret mission. It is my first ever journalistic assignment, and I speak to you now from a hidden location. Now, the reason it's a hidden location is because I am not allowed to reveal my presence to the other people that I am with. And the reason is, and I will just tell you exactly where I am and exactly the circumstances for how I came to be here. Because by the time this podcast is aired, there will be two factors at play. The first is it won't matter. And the second is because nobody's listening and so it wouldn't matter anyway. So I find myself currently... And if you listen carefully, you may be able to hear evidence of this fact. I find myself currently in the middle of the Caribbean, steaming from St. Martin to Bermuda, aboard the cruise ship Celebrity Summit. Celebrity is the name of the company. Summit is the name of the ship. I speak to you from Deck 7, Stateroom 7197 where I am ensconced. I am alone. I am on day three and a half, I guess, of this cruise. It is a cruise I am taking alone, which, in a a way, is a metaphor for life in general. We are all on our cruises, and we are all alone. However, like me, we are also all surrounded by all kinds of different people— who we experience moment to moment, sometimes uncomfortably close, sometimes not close enough. We experience them from our own vantage points, looking out at our own Caribbean seas or looking out on the pool deck where there might be, again, people who are uncomfortably close. Now, how did I come to be here? The answer, Twitter. Twitter may be many things to many people, but for me, it has provided many job opportunities. This job came about because my friend, Pamela Paul, who is the editor of the New York Times uh, Book Review, happened to retweet an article by uh, a guy named Dan about cruising on Disney. And Dan is the editor of the travel section of the New York Times. And the article was essentially doing what all cruise articles do, which is kind of describing the cruise and then uh, sort of coming up with snarky ways to say all the things that we already uh, think about cruises. And I found myself a little bit outraged is too strong a word, but miffed because Dan Saltstein had committed what I think is an error, an error in journalism, which is that he had described the thing very well, I might add, but not really captured the thing. And the godfather, I would say, of snarky cruise writing is a guy named David Foster Wallace, whom many of you people have read. Uh, certainly more of you have read David Foster Wallace's work than Thomas Hardy's. But David Foster Wallace, in 1995, wrote a very famous essay, which isn't even really an essay. It's almost a novella. I mean, the thing is so long. It's an article. It's an encyclopedic uh, rendering of his time on a different Caribbean cruise, also on a celebrity boat, this one called the Zenith, which he snarkily and I think kind of dumbly redubbed the nadir. And the article is called The Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. And it has become the kind of default piece of writing when discussing cruising. And so, I had that in mind when I responded to Pamela Paul's tweet about Disney cruises, and I said something to the effect of, on Twitter, let me go on a cruise. Let me, let me, let me do the defense of cruising. Let me usher, usher a rebuttal to a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, and all the snarky cruise writing that has subsequently followed. And to my great surprise, Dan Saltstein, the travel editor of of the New York Times, responded affirmatively. And after a little back and forth and some negotiating, which basically consisted of uh, him saying, "Well, this is how much we can afford for you. For you, uh, can you do that?" And and me going, "Absolutely." I booked myself a cruise on the Celebrity Summit departing from San Juan, Puerto Rico and heading relentlessly over eight nights towards the glamorous port of Bayonne, New Jersey. So it's a one-way trip from San Juan to Bayonne, New Jersey. And perhaps you can hear distantly the rumble of the engine, or perhaps uh, you can sense from the quality of the audio the salt air that I am imbibing and the tropical breeze, which has not quite filtering into my room because it is now uh, about six o'clock p.m. The sun is setting and I'm actually uncomfortably warm sitting here in my stateroom with the sun beating down on my face. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually shut the balcony door and then I'm going to close the curtain. So although it will restrict my view, it may um, make me less warm. All right. And now I can't see. Certainly not well enough to read Jude the Obscure. When last we left Jude, he and his country wench, Arabella, were just getting to know each other. And Jude had reached a kind of crossing point, a fork in the road, if you will, where he was falling very much in love, or at least in the idea of love. And he found himself maybe changing his attitudes about what he really wanted in life. Happiness is a kind of interesting state that hovers between pleasure and purpose and is what Jude was seeking now, as opposed to purpose, which is what he had been seeking before. So he had this kind of grim determination to follow this dream of getting educated. Uh, there in Christ Church, but, but suddenly pleasure presents itself. And after a grueling life of these 1920 years, he meets pleasure more than halfway. And they are walking towards the Brown House, which is the symbolic lookout point from which Jude's adventure really began. And they are walking together, she, in her Sunday frock and ribbons, I pick up the story again. They reached the brown house barn, the point at which he had planned to turn back. While looking over the vast northern landscape from this spot, they were struck by the rising of a dense volume of smoke from the neighborhood of the little town which lay beneath them at a distance of a couple of miles. "'It's a fire,' said Arabella. "'Let's run and see it. "'Do, it is not far.' The tenderness, which had grown up in Jude's bosom, left him no will to thwart her inclination now, which pleased him in affording him excuse for a longer time with her. So now there is a metaphoric and literal fire burning within Jude. They started off down the hill almost at a trot, but on gaining level ground at the bottom and walking a mile, They found that the spot of the fire was much farther off than it had seemed. Having begun their journey, however, they pushed on. But it was not till five o'clock that they found themselves on the scene, the distance being altogether about half a dozen miles from Marygreen and three from Arabella's. The conflagration had been got under by the time they reached it, and after a short inspection of the melancholy ruins, they retraced their steps their course lying through the town of Alfredston. Well, you know, I mean, Hardy lays it on pretty thick if you're if you're reading critically as I am. And I, look, I don't even know what reading critically means. I'm just reading the words out loud and commenting on it as I go. But it is a conflagration that they seek. And here's a little foreshadowing, I suspect, because again, I have not read this book, but I suspect the conflagration... It's under control. And uh, what's left? Melancholy ruins. So look, I've, I've been telling you, folks, I've been telling you, I've been warning you, don't get your hopes up about Jude and Arabella. I don't know what's going to happen here. I know it ain't going to be good. It's a strange thing being on a cruise by yourself, because I, I suspect, I strongly suspect I am the only uh, person taking this cruise solo. Uh, it's just not something you normally do, and and the entirety of the ship is designed for people to be together. I mean, the, you know, it's it's for people who uh, board this thing together, and they're there for a variety of reasons, but chief among them to be together. And so, like David Foster Wallace, who attend, who who went on his own cruise by myself, I am on this cruise by myself, and un- unlike him. I'm having a blast. David Foster Wallace's cruise was all about existential despair. My cruise is all about celebrating life. I mean, I, I, I say that in all earnestness because the cruise, in its essence, is earnest. And that's the thing that cruise writers don't get right. That's why they are all wrong about how they approach cruising. The writer's forte is irony and snarkiness. The cruise's forte is unblinkered earnestness. And how do you approach earnestness with irony? You end up looking like a fool. And who is more earnest than Jude, poor, dumb Jude, who only wants to celebrate his own cruise, who only wants a shot at his own life. And what is he a spy? Melancholy Ruins. Melancholy ruins. That has been his whole life up until this point. And then finally, he has Arabella on his arm. Arabella, they retrace their course. They have to go through Alfredston. And now I'm picking up the story. Arabella said she would like some tea. And they entered an inn of an inferior class and gave their order. As it was not for beer, they had a long time to wait. Exactly the same on the cruise. Exactly. They're always trying to upsell you on the cruise. They want you to purchase their beverage packages. Uh, and they have all these different beverage packages. Even the Sodi Pop costs extra. Look, it's an all-inclusive trip. Don't get me wrong. But all-inclusive to a point. Uh, and so if you want a Sodi Pop, as I often do, you know, you got to... You got to pay for it, and, and every time you're at the buffet, and I spend a lot of time at the buffet. I love the buffet at, here at the Ocean View Cafe. Every time you're at the buffet, a waiter comes around, and he or she says, do you want a, a, a beverage? meaning like a beverage that isn't included. And the beverages that are included are fruit punch, water, and like iced tea. And I happen to love iced tea, so I don't usually want a beverage. And there's a beverage menu in the middle of the table. It's, on, it's, like a, it's like a chess piece. And you say, no, thank you. And then they tip over the beverage menu as if they're tipping over the king at the end of a chess game. And it's unclear to me at that point who has won the chess game because I always feel terrible when they tip it over. I don't know if they're resigning or if, or if they are forfeiting on my behalf. I don't know who's won that chess game. All I know is when they leave and they leave uh, with a slightly disappointed air, I feel like I have done something wrong. And I haven't. I just, I don't like to drink very much. I have had one adult beverage since I've been here, more out of guilt than anything else. As it was not for beer, they had a long time to wait The maid servant recognized Jude and whispered her surprise to her mistress in the background that he, the student, who kept himself up so particular, that's a quote, should have suddenly descended so low as to keep company with Arabella. The latter guessed what was being said and laughed as she met the serious and tender gaze of her lover, the low and triumphant laugh of a careless woman who sees she is winning her game. So Arabella and Jude are playing their own chess match, except Jude, like me at the, at the Ocean View Cafe, is unaware there's even a game going on. But Arabella, the careless woman, feels she is winning her game. They sat and looked around the room and at the picture of Samson and Delilah Well, I mean, come on. I'm laughing because I understand that there is obvious biblical imagery here. But wait, I have to look up (laughs) the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson cut his hair, right? That's Samson? Wait, hold on. Guys, I purchased the internet because I realized I would go crazy not having human interaction, which I haven't really had, and uh, not having internet. So I outlaid money. Okay, so she's loved by Samson, a Nazarite who possesses great strength and serves as the final judge of Israel. Delilah is bribed by the lords of the Philistines to discover the source of his strength. <sighs> After three failed attempts to do so, she finally goads Samson into telling her that his vigor is derived from his hair. So again, Hardy laying it on thick here, um, we see that there there perhaps will be some betrayal from Arabella in Jude's future. They sat and looked around the room and at the picture of Samson and Delilah, which hung on the wall and the circular beer stains on the table and at the spittoons underfoot filled with sawdust. The whole aspect of the scene had that depressing effect on Jude, which few places can produce like a tap room on a Sunday evening when the setting sun is slanting in as my setting sun is currently slanting into my stateroom. And no liquor is going, and no liquor is going on in my stateroom. And the unfortunate wayfarer, I am a wayfarer, finds himself with no other haven of rest. Well, that is where Jude and I diverge because I have a bed and I have uh, about 12 decks of places where I can rest. And resting, I think, is what I'm going to do for a moment. Why not? Let's take a little break, pay for all of this. This is obscure. Hi there, Jude fans. Obscuriacs, Obscurians, Obscurios, did you know that in addition to being a very famous actor and fabulous reader of books, I am also a pretty decent interviewer? In my podcast, How to Be Amazing, I speak with some of today's most successful and interesting people in entertainment, politics, science, and more. And, 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 and the whole thing is about how they plucked themselves from obscurity and made a career doing what they love. Jude could learn a thing or two from these folks. Uh, who who, who do you mean, Michael? I will tell you. Uh, previous guests on How to Be Amazing, David Sedaris, Judd Apatow, Margaret Cho, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Giada DiLaurentis, Stan. Pfeiffer. Many, many more have sat down with me and they've spilled all their secrets. Check out How to Be Amazing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also check out our website at howtobeamazingshow.com. Back here on Obscure, I'm Michael Ian Black, reporting to you from a cruise ship for this very special episode. Shall we continue with the book? We shall. It began to grow dusk. They could not wait longer, really, for the tea. They said, "'Yet what else can we do?' asked Jude. "'It is a three-mile walk for you.' "'I suppose we can have some beer,' said Arabella. "'Beer! Oh, yes, I had forgotten that. Somehow it seems odd to come to a public house for beer on a Sunday evening.' "'But we didn't. No.' we didn't jude by this time wished he was out of such an uncongenial atmosphere but he ordered the beer which was promptly brought arabella tasted it oh she said jude tasted what's the matter with it he asked i don't understand beer very much now it is true i like it well enough but it is bad to read on and i find coffee better but this seems all right adulterated i can't touch it she mentioned three or four ingredients that she detected in the liquor beyond malt and hops, much to Jude's surprise. How much you know, he said good-humoredly. Nevertheless, she returned to the beer and drank her share, and they went on their way. It was now nearly dark, and as soon as they had withdrawn from the lights of the town, they walked closer together till they touched each other. She wondered why he did not put his arm round her waist, but he did not. He merely said what to himself seemed a quite bold enough thing. Take my arm. She took it thoroughly up to the shoulder. He felt the warmth of her body against his, and putting his stick under his other arm, held with his right hand her right as it rested in its place i don't understand that okay i'm going to reread that he felt the warmth of her body against his and putting his stick under his other arm held with his right hand her right as it rested in its place oh i see so he's got a little walking stick and then uh and then he and then they, they hold hands i guess i guess I, whatever they're holding hands they're doing something they're together they're like they're you know they're together now and he says, Now we are well together, dear, aren't we? he observed. Yes, said she, adding to herself, rather mild. Oh she's thinking that, and he's and he goes he thinks how fast I have become he was thinking. <laughs> oh Jude I mean Jude really is pathetic. There's a singles scene on this cruise and Uh, Obviously, I'm not a single. I'm alone, but I'm not a single. It takes place on the Deck 5 Martini Lounge at 9 p.m. At least it did last night. I saw on the little itinerary. And I was very tempted to go um, just to see journalistically kind of what was up with the single scene, like who showed up, who was there. But I was very afraid of being judged because I, I wear a wedding ring. And I was afraid, I was terrified that I would show up at the martini lounge by myself and like start talking to people and have them see my wedding ring and have them go, what an asshole this guy is. He's clearly married, but he's showing up at the single scene at the martini lounge, hitting on everybody. So I didn't go. And then I thought, well, maybe I should take off my wedding ring. Like, and But then I thought, oh, I can't do that because then I would feel like such an imposter. And then what would happen? I mean, what would happen if I started talking to people and then, you know, they, they thought one thing and I was, I just, I couldn't do it. I was too mortified. Maybe I'll do it tonight. Uh, and I wish I could ask you listeners what I should do vis-a-vis the wedding ring, whether I should wear it or not wear it. I'm afraid to take it off. Uh, both because of the humidity and it might tear off my finger, but also just because of the shame of it. Just the shame of taking off my wedding ring, I f- you know, and showing up at the single scene. My God. My God. How fast I have become. I could spy on the single scene. There's like a whole area, uh, like in the, in the middle of the ship, and I could look directly across from the port side to the starboard side and watch from afar the single scene. But that seems even creepier. I don't know. Back to the story. Thus they walked till they reached the foot of the upland, where they could see the white highway ascending before them in the gloom. From this point, the only way of getting to Arabella's was by going up the incline and dipping again into her valley on the right. Before they had climbed far, they were nearly run into by two men who'd been walking on the grass unseen. These lovers, you find them out of doors in all seasons and weathers. Lovers and homeless dogs only, said one of the men as they vanished down the hill. Arabella tittered lightly. Are we lovers? asked Jude. You know best. But you can tell me? For answer, she inclined her head upon his shoulder. Jude took the hint. And encircling her waist with his arm, pulled her to him. And kissed her they walked now no longer arm in arm but as she had desired clasped together oh I see so his right and right and they they weren't hand in hand they were arm in arm after all what did it matter since it was dark said Jude to himself when they were halfway up the long hill they paused as by arrangement and he kissed her again They reached the top, and he kissed her once more. "'You can keep your arm there if you would like to,' she said gently. He did so, thinking how trusting she was. Thus they slowly went towards her home. He had left his cottage at half-past three, intending to be sitting down again to the New Testament by half-past five. It was nine o'clock when... With another embrace he stood to deliver her up at her father's door she asked him to come in if only for a minute as it would seem so odd otherwise and as if she had been out alone in the dark he gave way and followed her in immediately that the door was opened he found in addition to her parents several neighbors sitting around they all spoke in a congratulatory manner, and took him seriously as Arabella's intended partner. Holy shit. What was that? So they went from... they He literally picked her up. They walked for several miles. They saw the uh, uh, melancholy ruins of a fire. They come back a few hours later. There's neighbors sitting around. There's people... Uh, I mean, what? What? What What just happened? They spoke in a congratulatory manner and took him seriously as Arabella's intended partner. They don't even know each other. They literally met like three days before when she threw pig shit at him. Not pig shit, but pig uh, uh, intestines and such at him. That's how they met. And then they were like, oh, you're cute. You're cute. You want to go for a walk? Sure. They go for a walk. They come back. Suddenly he's he's her intended partner. I mean, what? Okay, this reminds me. Okay, listen, once, 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 this happened to me once, okay? And I met a girl when I was like 20, 21, 22 years old at a rave in Miami. I met a girl at a rave in Miami, okay? That, that is a sentence that should not have come out of my mouth, but did. And uh, she was this, this cute gal, and I thought, Uh, Maybe she was making eyes at me, maybe. And so I was making eyes at her. And then I said to her at one point, can I take you out? Right? I'm only in town basically for one day. Can I take you out? And she said, sure. And so I took her out. And I and all I really remember about her is she was this Persian girl. She lived with her Iranian family. I showed up at her house. It was, it was full of people. We went out. We had a nice time. I came back. And so if I had been Jude in that situation, her entire Persian family would have been sitting there going, huh? You're going to get married now? I mean, this is clearly, I mean, this is a thing, right? Obviously. And it wasn't a thing. Like we had just met and I, 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 it was, it was, that's what it would be like to me. So when I say like, oh my God, can you imagine if this were the thing? I don't know. It, it, the whole thing's got me flummoxed that that would happen to Jude. I understand times were different, uh, than in mid nineties, South beach America, but not that different. All right. I'm flummoxed. Let's take a break. Reading. We like to read. That's one of the things that we do. A lot of us first learn to love reading and storytelling by watching LeVar Burton. Reading Rainbows, LeVar Burton. And Lavar now has a new podcast for lovers of reading, and that is you. That is literally you because you're listening to a podcast about Jude the Obscure. It's called Lavar Burton Reads, uh, and it's back for a new season this week over on Stitcher. In each episode, Lavar handpicks a different short story and reads it aloud, reads it to you, friends. Great uh, authors, people like Neil Gaiman, Octavia Butler, Haruki Murakami, many, many more. So. If you like this, uh, you can you can take a break from your daily life, dive into a great story with Lavar Burton. He's not going to comment on it as he goes because he is not creating a genre of podcast like I am but it's very very good. The first episode of season 3 is a speculative fiction story by Rebecca Roanhorse entitled Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience. It's about a tour guide who gives virtual reality experience to tourists or experiences to tourists who want to know what it's like to be Native American. So if you could think of it, think of it like this, Black Mirror meets Westworld, right? Pretty pretty good. Don't miss it. Season 3 is out now. Subscribe to Lavar Burton Reads on Stitcher or wherever you listen hi hi guys i'm here i'm reading jude the obscure the podcast is obscure are you ready to keep going i am i'm back to the story they did not belong to his set or circle and he felt out of place and embarrassed he had not meant this i should think not a mere afternoon of pleasant walking with Arabella that was all he had meant he did not stay longer than to speak to her stepmother a simple quiet woman without features or character she she's just essentially a blank she's just a blank face he, hardy was like it doesn't matter she has no features she has no character and bidding them all good night plunged with a sense of relief into the track over the down but that sense was only temporary so he left he's like oh god got out of that shit arabella soon reasserted her sway in his soul he walked as if he felt himself to be another man from the jude of yesterday what were his books to him what were his intentions hitherto adhered to so strictly as to not wasting a single minute of time day to day wasting. It depended on your point of view to define that. He was just living for the first time, not wasting life. It was better to love a woman than to be a graduate or a parson, I or a pope. And so, I will leave it there. Jude now on the verge of renouncing all he had worked for, all he had labored for for these many years because of the country wench Arabella who has dazzled him with her wenchy ways. The sun is now past the horizon here on the Celebrity Summit and I'm thinking now of the Ocean View Cafe and all the temptations offered there i'm thinking of the single scene i'm thinking of december 63 the frankie valley tribute quartet that i have seen now perform twice aboard the celebrity summit i'm thinking of course of home where my own country wench waits for me perhaps when i return the conflagration of our marriage will now be in miserable ruins because I left her to come come on a cruise by myself. (laughs) Uh, I really am the best. So, from deck seven of the Celebrity Summit, I leave you now as I head up to deck 10 Maybe to visit the Mexican corner, where they really have very good chili con carne. So as Jude returns to his home, I return to my home at sea, which is, as I said, the Ocean View Cafe. And until next time, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. And subscribe, won't you, in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you do not miss one exciting episode. Obscure is produced. By Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedron. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.